This week on Cross Defense, we conclude our conversation regarding division in the church, continuing where we left off last week with First Clement talking about combat and love and how the two go together. We're also going to bring in repentance, focusing on the whole reason we fight the good fight of faith. All this and more coming up. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war, with the cross of Jesus going on before. Christ the royal master leads against the foe, forward into battle, see his banners go. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war, with the cross of Jesus going on before. Welcome back to another episode of Cross Defense, you fabulous cross defenders out there. I am your host, the Reverend Tyrell Bramwell, pastor of St. Mark Lutheran Church in Ferndale, California, where it is a pleasure to serve soldiers of the cross who are engaged in battle just as you are. You are not alone, my friends. The entire army of the Lord marches with you. We start every single book club here. We have a monthly book club, and we start every single uh, time we gather with that first stanza. We sing it. I spared you that you know, suffering because um, <laughs> I don't have other voices to drown out mine. We sing that to get us started because our particular book club, yours might be different if you have one at your church. Ours is formed around a theme. It's actually called the Onward Christian Soldier Book Club. It's formed around that theme, equipping us for the battle that we recognize we are engaged in with the world. Now, we've talked about this before. Last week, we were talking a lot about combat and love as we looked at First Clement on division in the church. We're going to go back to that this week for part two of that conversation. I wanted to start off this episode with that stanza because I mentioned, well, I mentioned the church militant last week. And I mentioned how many people in the church today are uncomfortable using militant language, warfare language, to talk about Jesus. He should be peace and loving and unity and all these kind of tranquility things, right? Well, yes, yes, absolutely. But the Lord does say he comes to bear a sword. He comes to bring division. Not that he wants division in the church. Of course not. He wants unity. But the truth cuts. The sword of Christ cuts. Some people will will reject Jesus. And so we will see visible division, not only between us and the world, but even those who bear the name of Christ and then teach falsely, who reject Christ. And if you recall from two weeks ago, October 8th, 2022, when we looked at division in the church and we looked at Peeper's Christian dogmatics and we looked at CFW Walther's thesis on the church, one of them, we understood after that hour of discussion that the singular source of all division in the visible church in Christendom, the singular source is the rejection of Scripture, the rejection of God's Word, the inspired, inerrant Word of God. That is the cause of all division in the church. So this really is a spillover from that initial episode. Now we're the third week on this conversation. We're going to talk a lot about it, but I do want to point out before we jump back to First Clement, as we're just, just getting started, I do want to point out we have a wonderful collection of hymns in the Lutheran service book, our hymnal, in the category of the church militant. This is not a foreign thing to us. It may 
beginning to be a foreign thing as we try to soften the edges of the Lord and make him a little more cuddly, a little more fluffy around those, those edges so he doesn't hurt or uh, rub against us. I'm thinking now in terms of uh, what C.S. Lewis said about Aslan, right? He is a good lion, but he is not a tame lion. Our Lord is good, but uh, we shouldn't make him fluffy. He <laughs> he goes to war for us, doesn't he? He is fighting the good fight. Uh, he, he won that battle by going to the cross and dying for you. So let's see here. Lord, keep us steadfast in your word is hymn 655, the beginning of the church militant section, if you want to check, take a look at that. And then, of course, a mighty fortress is our God. We have a couple different uh, settings for that. Preserve your word, O Savior, Lord of our life. These are some great hymns. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. The Son of God goes forth to war. Can it be any more clear? Then, of course, Onward Christian Soldiers, hymn 662. Rise, my soul, to watch and pray. Fight the good fight. What else? Be strong in the Lord. O little flock, fear not the foe. Saints, See the cloud of witnesses rise to arms with prayer employ you. Oh, yeah, take up the arms of war, my friends. Take up the arms of war. Come, we that love the Lord. And then we shift to the church triumphant, which is what happens after the church is militant, isn't it? By him, 670. We have a great heritage of warfare in Christ. So, as I said, I'm Pastor Tyrell Bramwell. This is Cross Defense. If you want to reach out to me, if anything strikes your fancy or uh, stirs you uh, to have a thought regarding the theology of all of this, you can reach me at stmarksferndale.com. That's S-T-M-A-R-K-S, ferndale.com. And we have a contact page there where you can drop me a line. That's the best and probably the only way to get a hold of me uh, is by going to our website. Okay, so, well, I suppose you could go to KFUO and, and send a comment there, too. So it's not the only way. Do that as well. That's great. KFUO.org, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm opened up now to First Clement chapter 4. This is what we were looking at in detail last week, and we were talking about how combat and love are not in contrast to one another. They are not opposed. In fact, they always go together. We engage in the spiritual combat for the souls of our neighbors because we love them. Now, Clement, writing for the church in Rome to the church in Corinth, is talking about division that is rising up in Corinth. This church is troubled. It was troubled during the, the days of Paul. It's still troubled during the days of Clement. And he's writing about how to solve that problem. So let's read all of chapter four, and then we'll come back around and start pulling bits and pieces out of this to help us with our conversation of division and combat and love. Clement writes for the church in Rome, these things, beloved, we write unto you, we, the church in Rome, to the church in Corinth, not only for your instruction, but also for our own remembrance for we are all in the same lists, and the same combat is prepared for us all. Wherefore, let us lay aside all vain and empty cares, and let us come up to the glorious and venerable rule of our holy calling. 
Let us consider what is good and acceptable and well-pleasing in the sight of him that made us. Let us look steadfastly to the blood of Christ and see how precious his blood is in the sight of God, which, being shed for our salvation, has obtained the grace of repentance for all the world. Let us search into all the ages that have gone before us, and let us learn that our Lord has in every one of them still given place for repentance to all, as would turn to him. Noah reached repentance, and as many as hearkened to him were saved. Jonah denounced destruction against the Ninevites. Howbeit they, repenting of their sins, appeased God by their prayers and were saved, though they were strangers to the covenant of God. Hence, we find how all the ministers of the grace of God have spoken by the Holy Spirit of repentance. And even the Lord of all has himself declared with an oath concerning it. As I live, saith the Lord, I desire not the death of a sinner, but that he should repent, adding farther this good sentence, saying, Turn from your iniquity, O house of Israel. Say unto the children of my people, Though your sins should reach from earth to heaven, and though they shall be redder than scarlet and blacker than sackcloth, yet if ye shall turn to me with all your heart and shall call me Father, I will hearken to you as to a holy people. And in another place, he saith on this wise, Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow, come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red as crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken. These things has God established by his almighty will, desiring that all his beloved should come to repentance. That's chapter 4 of 1 Clement. What's the overarching theme that you're picking up here? Repentance, right? Repent. Division in the church, division among all people, whether in the church or out of, out of the church, division comes from this, this lack of repentance, right? Because that's what scripture teaches. Repent and believe. Repent and be united to Christ and therefore united to one another. So if we're not repentant, there will be division. We will separate ourselves from others. And if they're not repentant, they will separate themselves from us. This is the division here in St. Mark and Ferndale. This is the, the division we're up against right now as we're engaging with the LGBTQ uh, with the Black Lives Matter movement, we're engaging with uh, feminists who are pushing for abortion. 
Uh, you know, we're in California. A lot of these things are right in our faces, and our small little sweet town has been overtaken by this evil. And we're not silent about it. We're speaking up against it. We use our church marquee every single week to engage with the lawless ones out in front of us who drive by our church to call to repentance all those who are no longer repenting or have never repented in their life, to speak to them about Jesus, to call them to accept the good, that they would not suffer the sting of the sword. We don't want them to be devoured by the sword. This is uh, what Clement is referencing here. Let's flip with me right now. Flip with me to Revelation 1.16. This is a good place to kind of start with this. Last week, we looked at Ephesians 6. We looked at the armor of God, which speaks of the sword, right? The sword we have in Scripture, sword of the Spirit. Now let's go to Revelation 1. We're going to go to 16. Revelation 1.16 says, let me get my Bible in front of me. And we have here, in his right hand, this is in Jesus' right hand, he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And then when we go to 2.12, now last week we looked at the letter to the, the pastor of Ephesus. If we continue on, and we're going to skip over the, the letter to Smyrna, but to Pergamum in 2.12, we see what Jesus does with this sword, and he even addresses the church with the sword in his greeting. And to the angel, that's the messenger of the church in Pergamum, write the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. So this church is living in a very sinful place. Satan dwells there. But I have a few things against you, the Lord says. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. Seems like we, we're always dealing with this as a major sin. So also... They have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. We, we saw this group in the church to Ephesus last week. This is the group that, that the, the angel of Ephesus, the messenger, the pastor of Ephesus, hated. And the Lord says, I have this for you. You hate what I hate. Good for you, right? So there are some in Pergamum who hold the teachings of the Nicolaitans, and there's there's something about this that has to do with the, the effeminacy of man and, and the embracing of sexual immorality. Therefore, repent, the Lord says. If not, and here we go, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. See, the Lord does fight against the godless, the unrepentant. He wars against them with the sword of his mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Okay, that's the letter to Pergamum. The Lord wants all to reach repentance, as Peter says, that none should perish, but all should reach repentance. But he does also say that there are consequences for those who will not repent. And so in 1 Clement, 
We see these divisions popping up, and they're, they're being caused by the unrepentant, those who are rejecting Scripture, rejecting the, the word of repentance, and therefore rejecting Christ's authority, the law, the gospel, the whole thing. We hear more about the sword that Clement points out, that the Roman church points out to the church in Corinth, in Matthew 10. And as we're flipping to Matthew 10, you might be wondering, why are we looking at 1 Clement again? I don't, I don't know if Pastor ever said that. Well, maybe I didn't say this, dear cross defenders, but Clement did in 4.6. Let us search into all the ages that have gone before us, and let us learn that our Lord has in every one of them still given place for repentance to all such as would turn to him. So, this is sort of the faith of our fathers segment going on here. When we look at the church fathers, when we look at any other Christians before us, like we do with when we look at Peeper or, or Walther or Luther, uh, any of those guys, what we're doing is we're looking at what the, the faithful fathers of the faith, faithful fathers of the faith, our faithful forefathers have done prior to our generation to get a bearing on how we are to take scripture. It is helpful to remember Hebrews 12 I believe, uh, the cloud of witnesses. We have a faithful cloud of witnesses from which to see how to rightly understand Scripture if we're confused in our day and age. And we very well, very well could be because our day and age is upside down and backwards. Clearly. Okay, enough time for you to get to Matthew 10? Well, good. All right. So now find verse, what are we looking at? 34? Is that... Uh, Matthew 10, 34. Yes, that is. That's where I want us to go. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. This is the Lord speaking, Jesus. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Repent of sin, and you will live repentance. Hold on to your idolatry. Hold on to your sin. Hold on to whatever the sin is that you, you're putting before God, and you will lose your life. But repent, bear your cross, trust in Christ, and you will live. We'll be right back after this break. Each weekday on The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah, we share and discuss stories of Living Boldly Lutheran. Including missionary updates, mercy work, events and topics applicable to your daily vocations, and maybe some fresh dark roast. The Coffee Hour weekdays at 9 a.m. on KFUO, underwritten by Concordia University, Wisconsin. Repent and live. This is where we left things off just a moment ago. And we also were talking, as we were flipping to Matthew 10, about how we look to the faith of our fathers. Clement mentioned this in 4.9, Hence we find how all the ministers of the grace of God have spoken by the Holy Spirit of repentance. And even the Lord of all has himself declared with an oath concerning it. We preach repentance. Love 
right? This is how the combat of the, of the Christian church, the combat is built off of love. Our weapon is love. This is why we talk about sin. We don't like talking about sin. Pastors and Christians aren't fond of having to call people to repentance. It's not the, the most joyful thing in the world to do. It is joyful, though, to see repentant sinners come back to the Lord. Go with me now to James. Let's flip to James, the end of James. Is that James 5, uh, 13, 19? Let's go to 19, very end here. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is why we take the blows. This is why we engage in combat. This is why we do what we do, because we love our neighbor. We love the sinner and do not want them to perish, but that they would reach repentance. Go with me now to 2 Peter 3, 9. We're flipping all over the place. That's what we do across the fence. We get into the Bible. We learn how to defend the cross. And we learn, more importantly, that by the cross, we ourselves are defended. That's where we get the comfort for our souls. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. To be ready. That's what we're doing. As Christian soldiers going on to war, we're fighting for the souls of our loved ones. As we heard last week, and I've already sort of referenced before in today's show, Ephesians 6, 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Our enemies are not human beings, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We're fighting against demons. We're fighting against those who want to uh, corrupt our neighbor's minds with an acceptance of sin. We're fighting against the LGBTQ culture, the ideology, the false theology. We're fighting against the Black Lives Matter sin of racism. We're fighting against the, the innocent loss of life in the abortion fight. We're fighting for people, not against people in all of our engagement, in all of our combat. Last week, I quoted to you from R.C.H. Lenski a good definition of love that helps us understand this. And that was, I'm paraphrasing, uh, comprehension coupled with corresponding purpose. Maybe that's exactly what he says. But that's the understanding of agape love. It is, you know, comprehending God's word, having spiritual eyes and ears to see, to hear, and then acting according to it, living according to it. So if you are a Christian, if you've been baptized and you hear the word and you're receiving the Lord's sacrament of the altar and, and, and you're, you're being informed and you have eyes to see that sin will lead someone to hell, that unrepentance causing division in the church will scandalize people, cause them to trip and stumble. 
and could have eternal ramifications for their souls and their bodies in the resurrection of the body. If you see that and you don't respond, if you do not have a a purpose that is engaging the unrepentant sinner, trying to win them back to the Lord, James 5 style, trying to call them to repentance by saying a thing as a thing. That's what we do as Lutherans. We're good about that. We call a spade a spade. This is what our theology has equipped us with. This is what the Christian theology has equipped us with. We call a spade a spade. If we have the comprehension and do not have the corresponding purpose, that's called hypocrisy. And if we propose to have a purpose void of true biblical comprehension, well, that's called heresy. That's wading into the progressive church. That's how you end up with transgender bishops and pastors. That's how you end up with female pastors. That's how you end up denying the Trinity. And you have all kinds of false teachings in the, in the so-called church. It's rejection of Scripture. So last week, we had that quote from C.H. or R.C.H. Lenski. Today, I want to give you another resource. This is coming from another great Lutheran theologian, Martin Franzman. And it's something I wanted to share with you from last week. Didn't have exactly the amount of time I needed to get it squeezed into the show. But this is from our look in Revelation 2, the letter to the pastor in Ephesus, where we really started to see, not from Clement so much, but from the Bible how combat and love go together. So maybe it'll be good. Let's reread that letter in Revelation 2, and then I'll read to you what Martin Franzman has to say about it. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hands, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, Martin Franzman, in his commentary, Franzman, excuse me, on, uh, on Revelation, writes this. Ephesus was the chief city of the Roman province of Asia, of high political, commercial, religious, and cultural importance. There is, therefore, an inner fitness in the fact that Christ here identifies himself in the face of this imposing power and influence as the holder 
of the seven stars, the wielder of a worldwide dominion before which even Ephesus grows insignificant. And as the vigilant patroller, as he walks among of his churches, his strength is theirs, wherever they may be, and their responsibility is to him. To him, not to the powers and the political, commercial, uh, religious, and cultural powers and importance. No, I got the same thing in June of 2021 when our church put up a sign, hurt by LGBTQ culture, healing here. You know, one of the, the some of the more um, congenial messages I received on our church answering machine, the ones that didn't have expletives aimed at us, were were th- this kind of deception. Hey, you know, we get a lot of tourists in town and, and your message kind of sends a, a really uh, ugly message to tourists. Could you please take down your sign because you might be ruining um, you know, our ability to make some, some money as a tourist attraction. That was some of the more polite attacks we received when we enga- engaged with the LGBTQ. It was a, an appeal to our commercial... Uh, perhaps the the cultural importance of Ferndale and what the perception, the message that the LGBTQ are sinful and hurting people, what that perception might mean to those who don't want to see that kind of thing on a church marquee. See, we got to understand something here. We don't answer to the world. I'm not that concerned about the commercial ramifications of speaking truth. I care for my neighbors, sure. I care for you know, the finances and the economy of Ferndale, of course. But not nearly as much as I care about speaking to those who are being hurt by the LGBTQ or fill in the blank, hurt by any sin. And so I'm going to speak that with the understanding that as a messenger, as an angel, as a pastor to St. Mark Lutheran Church in Ferndale, My understanding is that there is one with a greater influence, a greater dominion, who cares much more and has uh, more power and control and walks among, patrols his churches. He does keep an eye on his churches. This is is something we maybe need to pause and, and reflect on for a second. Do you as a Christian, do we as a church, seriously consider the the fact that Jesus is the Lord of the church. He retains authority. We don't have authority in the church. Our church councils and our elections and the things we decide to do, our our pastors, we ultimately do not have authority. It all belongs to Christ. Sure, we can choose the color of the carpet in the sanctuary. He lets us deal with these things. But we don't get to choose what is sin and what isn't. We don't get to choose who has to repent and who doesn't. We're all called to repentance. This is the combat we're engaged in. This is what we're trying to do. I, you know, I'm not really concerned about the political, commercial, religious, and cultural importance of the community I'm in. Because, as we read in Matthew 10, I'm more concerned about God, about His political, commercial, religious, and cultural importance the importance of Christ for those who are walking toward hell, that is far more important than a tourist attraction. Okay, so uh, Franzman continues, 
with his commentary on verse 2. He praises the church, Jesus does, first for being faithful in that responsibility. The men of Ephesus, and the pastor in particular, but the entire church, have remembered the words of their Lord and of Paul, their apostle. Franzman points out to us Matthew 7, 15 to 20. So let's flip there. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears evil fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear evil fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Oh, powerful words from our Lord who loves us and wants us all to repent. Acts 20, 28 to 31. Go with me there. Acts 20, 28 to 31. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears says St. Paul. So we are to engage the false wolves. We are to see the enemy. And we heard when we were looking at Jude last week that the deceptive agents of the enemy can creep in undetected. That happens when we let our guard down. That happens when we forget that we are church militant. We are church triumphant as well. Franzman continues, there lives in their faith that active, toilsome aversion to evil men, which is the hallmark of men who await their Lord's return and in the strength of their hope and the expectation of hearing a well done, Matthew 25, 21. Let me reread that. We need to see what is the hallmark of our faith. We Christians in 2022, what should be the hallmark? What marks us as who we are? Their lives in their faith, that active, toilsome aversion to evil men, which is the hallmark of men who await their Lord's return and in the strength of their hope and in the expectation of hearing a well done. How well are we doing at avoiding evil men? We live in a society that is embracing evil, and the church likes to justify our acceptance of it, the reasons why we're not speaking boldly against it. We like to justify why we're not taking stones to the head because we're speaking up against transgenderism or something else, fill in the blank, whatever's going on in your world. From his, his lips can endure the toil which Fidelity to Christ entails. They have borne the burden of truth, Franzman says. They have endeavored to, quote, test everything and hold fast what is good, 
1 Thessalonians 5.21, and have not shunned the pain of calling false apostles false and of rejecting them as messengers of Satan disguised as angels of light. 2 Corinthians 11.13-15, let's go there real quick and then we'll take a break. 2 Corinthians 11.13-15, St. Paul writes to this same church that Clement is dealing with, right, the Corinthians, Such men are false prophets, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. We are a foolish church if we think we're not engaged in combat. We are are a wicked generation if we think we can claim before the world, proclaim before the world, peace, peace, where there is no peace, as we read in the prophets. Ours is a job of calling people to repentance. And that means we speak both the law and the gospel. Not the gospel without the law. We can't speak the gospel before the law. People need to know they are sinners. We do it with love in our hearts. When we get back from the break, we'll talk about love and hate and maybe get back to First Clement. <laughs> we'll be right back. Don't go away. The word of Christ comes forth from his mouth as a sharp, two-edged sword. By that word, he puts our sin to death and he raises us to new life in him. Join me, Pastor Timothy Apple, on Sharper Iron every weekday morning at 8 a.m. here on KFUO as guest pastors from around the world lead us into the Word of God to help us sharpen our faith in Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Reading from Franzman's commentary on Revelation 2, but in this necessary conflict with evil men and false teaching... The church in Ephesus had let slip from them, abandoned that which evinces them as sons of their heavenly father, Matthew 5.45, that which gives evidence that they are of God, their love, that first love engendered in them by the Christ who interceded for his enemies, Luke 23.34. They behold that causeless love in him even now. He will not abandon them though they abandon him. He woos them still, bidding them remember, as the Lord once bade Jerusalem remember, the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, Jeremiah 2.2. Remembering, recalling, and reliving the gospel will enable them to repent and believe. And in repentance and faith, they will be enabled to love as they loved at first, with the love of him, Christ, who loved them and freed them for a life of love by his blood. 1.6 This they can do, and this they must do, for their existence as church depends on their so doing. How can a church that has abandoned love continue to serve as his lampstand, who, as God's spoken word of love, is the light of the world. 
See John 1, 4 and 4, 17. The Lord will remove that lampstand from its place. From him who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Matthew 13, 12. The Lord's word of reproach, however, does not cancel out his previous word of praise. Love can and must coexist in the repentant heart with the will to defend and maintain the truth. The Ephesians can and must hate the works, the pretensions and lies of the Nicolaitans, men who pretended the apostolic authority and with their lies led the people of God into a licentious compromise with surrounding paganism. Does that sound familiar? but they can share their Lord's holy aversion to false pretensions and licentious lies and yet hold unswervingly to the course of selfless love which he has walked before them and for them. That is to say, our combat is one of love for our neighbors. We must hold this in the right uh, tension, the right suspension, We are not to go too far to one side of the road and be all love and peace and happiness and tranquility and unity and equality and inclusion and diversity and all this happy kaleidoscope stuff. No, that's not what the Lord says. The the Nicolaitans, they were encouraging compromise with the surrounding paganism. What we must do, too, is not go too far to the other side of the road, the other ditch, and be so built up in in the hatred of evil that we forget that we're fighting for the people that are engaged in the evil. We're not merely fighting against the powers and principalities. We are doing that for the sake of winning the prize of the people that are, are the prisoners of war of those spiritual forces of darkness. We want the haters, to repent. We want those who are rejecting the Lord's commandments, who have mocked Christ's cross, to repent, to quit hating God. So they will live. So they will reach repentance. The combat is necessarily intertwined with love for those who look to be our opposing combatants. They look to be, but they are themselves prisoners of war. They are the prize. And so let me reread this verse from Franzman. Love can and must coexist in the repentant heart with the will to defend and maintain the truth. How well we doing at defending and maintaining the truth these days? Are we speaking up against the spirit of the, of the world in our day? Are we truly speaking against the zeitgeist of our day? Or are we speaking to things that are previous battles? Are we still living on former battlegrounds? Or are we living on the battleground of today? How well are we doing as a church? We need to be honest with ourselves. First John style. Go with me to First John. Chapter 1, verse 5. This is going to be familiar to many of you. 
This is the passage we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Where are we sinning? In regards to our church militant combat of love for those who've been led into sin or who are leading people into sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Jumping to 2.15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. How we doing? How we doing as an army? How we doing as the army of the Lord, the church militant? How are you doing, Christian soldier? I want you to be able to march onward. I want to equip your mind, excite your imagination in the things of God, and comfort your soul as a Christian. You too are a recipient of Christ's love. You too are one who can be called to repentance. This is for all of us. This is the message that we give. Last week we looked at combat and love in the understanding of this division that was going on. In Corinth, to better understand the visions that go on in the public church today, the visible church today. This week, we're wrapping up this conversation of division with the thing that we need to solve the division problem, repentance. Repentance. 1 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 3. Go there. 1 Timothy 1, 3. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus, so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love, that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law, without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Division in the church comes from breaking away from God's word, from the the authority of Scripture. We fight with love. That is our aim. And love speaks truthfully. Love doesn't speculate. It doesn't get into mythologies and endless genealogies and these sorts of things. Love comes from a pure heart with a good conscience and a sincere faith. It's not one of deception and guile. 
It's not one of, of eloquent words and, and luring and, and baiting and switching. It's, it's not one of, of hooking our, our wagon up to the progressive horse, flying a rainbow flag out in front and telling people that everything's okay. We're all going to heaven because God is love. Yes, God is love. And that love means something to him. So we preach repentance. Repentance. That all would reach salvation in Christ Jesus. This is why in 1 Clement chapter 4 we read, Let us consider what is good and acceptable and well-pleasing in the sight of him that made us, God. Christ Jesus, look, let us look, verse 5, let us look steadfastly to the blood of Christ and see how precious his blood is in the sight of God, which being shed for our salvation has obtained the grace of repentance for all the world. We don't mock this. We don't take it for granted. That's what Romans 6 is all about, right? What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. We look to the blood of Christ. We look to the cross, where we see grace. And what we find is we no longer want to sin. We don't want to keep on sinning that grace may abound, thinking we have this get-out-of-jail-free card. Oh, I'll, all right, now we can do whatever we want. No, that's not the Christian spirit. Christians look to the blood of Christ and we think, my sin shed that blood. I want no more to do with that. I don't want to keep on sinning. I want to repent and live under the grace 
that that blood, that that body on the cross earned for me. This is why in 1 Clement 4, 6, we read, as I've already pointed out to you, let us search into all the ages that have gone before us and let us learn that our Lord has in every one of them still given place for repentance to all such as would turn to him. This is Hebrews 12. Go there with me now. Hebrews 12. This is so very important as we continue to engage in the warfare that has been laid out before us in 2022 and the days ahead. We feel outnumbered, outgunned. We feel like our equipment, our, our, war, our items of warfare are, are inadequate to fight. We feel like we're losing, but we're not. Oh, dear saints, we are so not losing. The war is over. We are merely making our way across the battlefield. The word hasn't fully gotten out. The, the armistice isn't known to all enemy combatants, and so we're making our way across the battlefield, and we still have to engage in the firefights. We are so not under-armed. We are over-armed. Our Lord has already won the war. And so Hebrews 12 helps us remember that. So does reading from First Clement. That's why we're using this as a springboard today. Hebrews 12.1 Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. From Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. You are fellow combatants with Christ. And so we look to his shed blood. We look to his cross. We find comfort for our souls. We find the ability to engage those around us. Not merely to hate evil, but to hate evil out of love for those who've been taken captive by it. To despise the false prophets, to test them and to out them, to speak against them, to denounce them loudly for the sake of those around us. That our neighbors today and the neighbors yet unborn who will live where we live tomorrow will not be influenced 
by the evil, but will be saved by the grace of God we preach. Just as we hear about Noah and Jonah and all of this kind of thing from First Clement. As I live, saith the Lord, I desire not the death of a sinner, but that he should repent. Ezekiel 23.11 from First Clement chapter 4. This has been Cross Defense, our conclusion to First Clement on division. We looked at combat and love last week, and this week we've been looking at repentance primarily. Christ be with you, dear cross defenders. Until next time, may he always guard you and defend you and equip your minds to fight the good fight of faith. We'll talk to you next time. Cross Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at kfuo.org.